This uh, is the Feast of Pentecost, or in the English church tradition, it is often called Whit Sunday. And I thought, you know, I can't remember why it's called Whit Sunday. So I looked it up, and it says that Whit Sunday comes from an old English term, Wiffa Sunadag. <laughs> which in Old English means White Sunday. And White Sunday was called White Sunday not because we wore white vestments. We clearly wore red vestments. But because uh, White Sunday reminded people that in the, in the early church when you were baptized, you were baptized with an Albon. So everybody, all the baptizees wore white right on the Feast of Pentecost. Red is the color of the Holy Spirit. You know the famous story I've told you about Carolyn Fairless, who is the rector of Holy Family Church in Half Moon Bay. And at the coffee hour after the liturgy, she was helping a little eight-year-old girl at the coffee hour paint her nails red. And as they were doing this, the little girl said, you know, God loves this color. And she said, well, why is that? And she said, because red is the color of God's spirit. So at least she'd learned her lessons about the liturgical year, <laughs> right, and what, what it stands for in that sense. If you're inter in any way interested in, the, in this, by the way, there is a wonderful book. I, it's about 20 or maybe more years old now by Robert Coles, the famous child psychiatrist who taught at Harvard called The Spiritual Life of Children. And it talks about that and it reproduces some of the drawings, you know, that kids make when they're uh, drawing religious subjects. Uh, it caused some alarm when my young son James in his class, when I was first in seminary, drew a picture of his father and mother and his father was in a dress. <laughs> And the teacher wondered if there might be a problem. <laughs> uh, what I want to preach on is a little bit about uh, recapitulate the great 50 days, because Pentecost is the capstone. It means 50th. And in the ancient world, the, the Feast of Pentecost predates Christianity to some degree, but it's, it was a harvest festival. But uh, Pentecost ends... Uh, the great 50 days, and so the, the, the uh, accumulation of themes, which we get every year during that time, the illuminative processes of God at work symbolized in the presence of the Paschal candle in the sanctuary, so that is both an internal illuminative process in each of us, and it is a candle, a light showing us the way. And so when the liturgy developed over time, people said, well, this is sort of like the pillar of fire that was leading the people of Israel in the wilderness. So it's showing us the way, seeing the light of Christ and listening to the biblical witness about the great sweep of the history of salvation. So that means that when we hear the biblical readings, particularly from the Hebrew Bible, we hear about how the ancients believed 
that God was always present to them and God was always faithful. And we will see in a minute when I pre preach about the reading from Acts how two and two got put together by Luke about what was going on on Pentecost with everybody speaking and everybody understanding. And then, of course, we have, through the great 50 days, the great emphasis which we, we, we celebrated today, and that is baptism, the, the power of the Spirit of God moving through the church, and finally, on a regular basis, being fed by the spiritual food and drink of the Eucharist, empowering us to be God's people in the world, preparing us each week uh, to be God's people in the world. Father Thomas Keating says in his book, The Mystery of Christ, The Liturgy of Spiritual Experience, each feast of the liturgical year is both an event to be celebrated and a grace to be received. The grace of Christmas is to know Christ in his humanity. The grace of Epiphany is to know Christ in his divinity. The grace of Holy Week is to know him in his emptying and dying. The grace of Easter is to know him in his, strength, in his triumph over sin and death. The grace of the Ascension is to know him as the cosmic Christ. It is to know the glorified Christ who has passed, not into some geographical location, but into the heart of all creation. And Keating said last week that we now experience his presence, his spirit, directly each one of us. And the grace of Pentecost is to know that Christ is all in all and to know his spirit, the ongoing promise of the Father. So today we have a reading from the book of Acts. In the old lectionary, we read uh, verses 1 through 11. And in the revised common lectionary, we read verses 1 through 21. So after 11, it may get a little obscure. So I'm not going to touch that today. I'm concerned about 1 through 11, which is the story of the Holy Spirit coming into the upper room, land, lighting on the apostles and the disciples, and they all come out, and they all begin to speak. They're all Galileans, but they all begin to speak, and everybody, the crowd out there, understands them no matter where they're from. There was universal understanding. Some people have interpreted this text to have something to do with uh, ecstatic speech, you know, speaking in tongues. The technical term for that, by the way, is glossolalia. Let's all say that. <laughs> glossolalia. I think it's a terrific word, you know. But that's not what we're talking about. Ecstatic speech, by the way, speaking in tongues... Uh, predates Christianity as well. But it didn't become a big sine qua non for a lot of uh, essential thing for a lot of Christians until 1904 in Azusa, California. <laughs> we could talk about that another time. So we're not talking about speaking in tongues. We're talking about universal understanding. And so what did Luke have in mind. Remember Luke wrote Luke, the Gospel according to St. Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts. It's a two-volume set. <laughs> so it's a story 
about the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in the person of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry in Luke. And the book of Acts is about the transfer of the Spirit of God from the person of Christ in his earthly ministry to the people of God we call the church. So we become the fiduciaries and the beneficiaries of the Spirit. And one of the consequences of the Spirit is clarity of thinking and universal understanding. And for Luke, thinking about the sacred scriptures that were in existence when he wrote his two-volume set, he remembered a story in the book of Genesis about the Tower of Babel. You know the story? Where the people began to build this tower and they were, gonna, they were very proud of their architectural and structural abilities and they were going to build this tower and they were going to build it right up into heaven. And God saw this in the story in Genesis and decided that uh, this was a, the sign of a prideful group of people. And so he confused their speech. Now, originally, it's a story, one of the things it's about is why do we have different languages in the world? Why don't we have just one language in the world? Well, we have different languages, and that is the source and origin of it in this story. But it is true that we do have different languages, and it is true that we still do. But in this story, it says everybody understood everybody. So Luke says the potential is here through God's unifying, reconciling presence to once again bring some sort of un universal understanding about the deep things of human existence. And it's a story about the processes of God being brought to bear in how that works. And there have been times throughout human history when we have in fact seen that happen. People have got it and they have moved together uh, in a unified way. So when you think about this story, think about that, that you and I are to be uh, reconcilers and people of peace. And through that, it's much easier to understand uh, these things. My grandfather was very, uh, he was a businessman. He was very, worked for him until I went to seminary. He was very uh, idealistic about, you know, free enterprise and all this. And uh, he said to me, and I think actually he was, he's partially tr right. He said, you know, when people start trading with one another, they find it harder to fight with one another. That somehow it's, it's a good idea if you begin to uh, interact in, in that way. So he was back in, in the day before the fire and earthquake in San Francisco, he did a lot of business with the uh, Chinese crews on the Pacific Mail steamers that came across the Pacific. And he made a lot of friends that way. When, when I was uh, a little kid working there, 12, 14, some of the children and grandchildren of those men would come and visit him in the store. So I always thought there's something to this idea uh, really what it has to do, isn't it, is that when we get to know each other, it's harder to feel hostile. And that's what this is about. That's what the reading uh, from the book of Acts is about, in my view. Uh, the reading from Romans, 
is a little bit more, as you can see, Pauline, because he's talking about things uh, uh, in his way. But here's what the, the thing to understand about that. Paul believes that the Spirit of God operates, and in his case, he would say through the processes of baptism, but the Spirit, and not just there, but since we're in Pentecost, we'll talk about it in those terms and say that we receive the spirit of adoption, not slavery, which is a fancy way of saying something that is part of our theological self-understanding. And that is what Jesus Christ is by nature. We become through adoption and grace at our baptism. So last week I spoke about the processes of divinization in the hearts of faithful people, theosis, in the Eastern Church, meaning that as we mature spiritually, emotionally, and mentally in our life as human beings, we become less unlike God. And that's because we received the spirit of adoption. What Jesus Christ is by nature, we become through adoption and grace at our baptism. And so Paul is saying something that's very important. You know, Christian people have different, differing views about what is essential or what is the absolute central thing uh, in the Christian faith and life. Some believe it is something called right belief. Or another way of saying it in Greek is orthodox. Right? And what Paul, and there's right belief is a good thing. But one of the things that we learn as we move forward, and I think a lot of pastors understand this over time, is belonging is very important to think and do first. And then believing becomes a little bit easier because you become part of a community and you are, are breathing the atmosphere, the spirit in the worship of the church and so forth. So Paul is speaking today about something called orthopraxis, which is right practice. You know, ortho means right, right? Doxa means faith or belief in Greek. And ortho means right, and praxis means practice. So learning how to practice Christianity is something that takes time. And he's speaking about that and saying, you have been equipped now because you have received the spirit of adoption. And what Jesus Christ is by nature, you become through adoption and grace. So you are now empowered to do these things. And that's important. So on Pentecost, I always say, how would you know? If, we, if I talk almost, speak almost every sermon about how, what, how we uh, receive the Spirit of God and how do we explain what it means. And we say the Spirit of God is, is God coming from within to enlighten and strengthen you. And those aren't my words. Those are Dr. John McQuarrie. That's what he said about the work of the Holy Spirit. He also said next week is Trinity Sunday, the dreaded preaching Sunday for the clergy. <laughs> One of the things that Dr. McQuarrie says about the Spirit is that if we understand it as part of the being of God, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we understand the Holy Spirit also as that aspect of being that is unitive. So that connects to the whole idea 
of, you know, somehow we are all moving towards some clarity of thinking and purpose and the means of reconciliation affected by the Spirit of God. So how would you know, is what I always ask, that you're making any progress? What is it that we talk about that we receive God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us? Well, one of the things we refer to in this are the fruits of the Spirit. And the fruits of the Spirit are, in part, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So if you have found yourself able in some way to reflect any of these fruits of the Spirit more easily and more readily in your life, maybe you could say, at least tentatively, that you have made some spiritual progress, right? You're not doing this by yourself. You're doing it because you possess the Spirit of God, God coming from within to enlighten and strengthen you. Now, these gifts only have authenticity when they are able to be expressed spontaneously. So we are not robots. We don't go, we get the Holy Spirit of God, and now we're just in lockstep with love, joy, kindness, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, because all of us know that we often make two steps forward and one step back, right? But also we know that there have been times in our life when we have spontaneously reflected one of these qualities in relationship that has produced some healing and wholeness, and if nothing else, greater clarity for us and uh, the ability to uh, love other people and take them seriously for who they are and what they do. So don't think about this saying, now today, how about love, joy, peace? You know, how am I going to do this sort of thing? But if you look back on it and say, I felt really uh, uh, that I felt good about being able to do that sort of thing, you know. Uh, Aristotle speaks about virtue. Uh, in Greek, it's called arete, which means uh, excellence, the pursuit of excellence. And when you act properly in his moral system, uh, you understand that you have uh, achieve, achieved some species of the good. And you know that by virtue of the fact that you feel better. You feel like you've done something uh, that makes you on the right track. So in that sense, the, the gifts of the spirit are, are, is a location for how you understand that kind of human ability and so forth. Every one of us, sometime in our lives, whether, whether it's for a split second or maybe even for a little while, have felt, have completely forgotten ourselves in some form of self-giving. We have just been out of the way and we have been uh, engaged in relationship that is of the, the best and uh, highest kind. And so that's maybe what we would be shooting for uh, all the time. It's like my colleague who told us that um, when she looked at somebody in the parish hall where the sun was shining on their face and she said their face was in repose and looked at them and said, you know, this must be the way that God sees them all the time. 
And it's very hard for us to get to that point often. But when we do, it's a, a great thing. So this week, give thanks for the Holy Spirit of God. Give thanks for the spirit of adoption so that now you participate in Christ. A lot of biblical scholars now, since about the late 1970s, who've written books about Paul and who believe that the centerpiece of his theology is not justification by faith through grace, but participation in Christ. That that's the centerpiece of Paul's outlook. And that's what we're talking about when we say God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. Give thanks for God's Holy Spirit, for the presence of God's Holy Spirit, and for being an instrument of the Spirit of God in the world. Amen.